This is Ingmar Bergman, the world's most iconic film director. The year is 1957, and Bergman is on fire. He's got six gigantic productions opening this year. He's only 38 years old, but has six children with three different women. This year, he makes his greatest artistic discovery. If his films are to be great, they have to be about him. There's no one like Ingmar Bergman, an artist, a craftsman, a master. Han hade ju ständigt ont i magen. Han hade ständigt ångest för att det inte skulle vara bra nog. Att jag var i min tolvstrådus. Jag kom ju inte ihåg till exempel när mina barn är födda. Han pratar ju alltid om demoner, men jag vet inte för att han var ju väldigt demonisk själv tycker jag. Let's pull away. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. That, of course, is Liv Ullman, who is not only a lover 
a muse of Igmar Bergman, but a talented actress and director in her own right. Talking to an interviewer about the influence of Igmar Bergman, um, an icon, an icon. I, I, I've always been fascinated by him in a very you know his, his thing he was all about demons and then he was all about darkness but also the, the lining of the human psyche we've talked about this before we've talked about how at first he didn't you know he came from a uh, religious background the father was let's see I mean he had a very startling life um father was a Lutheran minister later chaplain to the king of Sweden and he himself later on became an atheist and then toward the end of his life said to Max von Sydow because Max von Sydow and him were talking his great collaborator Max von Sydow who also collaborated with him in, in Liv Ullman on films um, said he said to him oh I don't believe in God and and um, uh Bergman said, "Oh no, I promise you." And he and it, it, yeah, it <laughs> fascinating. What got me is I was doing some research on Igmar Bergman, and you know we all we look at people of power, and you know in these days he would have been canceled. This is what he said in 1934, age 16. He was sent to Germany to spend the summer holidays with family friends. He attended a Nazi rally in Weimar in which he saw Adolf Hitler. He later wrote in Literna Magica, the Magic Lantern, about the visit to Germany, describing how the Germany, German family had to put a portrait of Hitler on the wall by his bed. And for many years, I was on Hitler's side, delighted by his success and saddened by his defeats. Bergman commented that Hitler was unbelievably charismatic. He electrified the crowd. The Nazism I had seen seemed fun and youthful. Bergman did two-month stretches in Sweden on the mandatory military service. He later reflected when the doors to the concentration camps were op thrown open, I saw sudden I was suddenly ripped of my innocence. So his love of the Fuhrer deteriorated, thankfully. And um, but Bergman, oh my God. See, that would have got him canceled today. That's the crazy thing, you know. Um, he himself retreated, you know. Um, he retired from filmmaking in December of 2003. Had hip surgery in 2006. It was making a difficult recovery. He died in his sleep at the age of 89. His body was found at his home on the island of Faro on July 30th, 2007, 16 days after his 89th birthday. It was the same day another renowned ex uh, filmmaker, Michelangelo Antonio, died. The interment was private. Yeah. Although he was buried on the island, his name and date birth were inscribed under his wife's name on a tomb. Oh. Sad to know that. My God, this man. I've talked about Bergman before. I've talked about his influence on film. I've talked about his films are just, I mean, they're, they're heavy. 
they're dark they're heavy these are not um happy-go-lucky films and yeah his his films are heavy they're tough I mean it all began with crisis it rains on our love a ship bound for India port of call prison thirst to joy this can't happen here summer interlude secrets of women Summer with Monica, Sawdust and Tinsel, A Lesson in Love, Dreams, Smiles of a Summer Night, and, but for all of us, it was the seventh seal. The seventh seal solidified everything. And then in the 1960s, he got to work with Liv Ullman. In Silence, All These Women, Persona, Simulation, Hour of the Wolf, Shame, the Passion, Passion of Anna, The Touch. Cries and whispers, scenes from a marriage. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So their their collaboration together is is synonymous. I mean, oh my goodness. And and filmmakers, I mean, they revere him. They revere him. He he really paved the way. He is inescapable. I've seen many of his films. I I enjoyed the film. It was Liv Ullman and Ingrid Bergman. Um, and Autumn Sonata. Autumn Sonata. Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, Bergman often is associated with, you know, these depressing movies. But they have weight to them. They have weight to them. And uh, let's see. This is this is Liv Ullman talking about Autumn Sonata and the difficulty <laughs> that Ingrid Bergman had working with Ingrid or Igmar. <laughs> <laughs> What number in our working together it is. It comes after I had also left Norway for a long time and had started to work in the United States and and been on the stage on Broadway and on American movies. But coming back to do this autumn sonata was really like coming home. So Ingmar's soul, Ingmar's way of writing, talking to a man that knows everything about the inner life of a human being. And if you work other places and with other people, that's not always what is happening. Most of his movies for Ingmar is looking back at parenting and the way his own parents have been. As a parent, he himself was not <laughs> a great parent, and I think his children will agree on that because he was someone who worked, someone who would leave the mothers and find another woman and be parent to some other child. He knew very little about parenting. 
although I know when the children grew up and they could be part of the creative life that he had, I think many of them really felt enormously proud to be his child. I remember when my daughter got married, for example, Ingmar Bergman is her father. The speech he made for her, I was thinking, you know, maybe he hasn't been a great father, but to give such a speech, it was a storytelling for my daughter about being alive, being a woman, what you want to do with your life as a woman. I thought, you know, very few fathers give such a speech to the daughter and maybe a lot of things that you've lost because he's the kind of parent he is. What a win to have such a father. I knew for a long time about Autumn Sonata when I was working in the United States or England or wherever I was. Ingmar and I, at least once a week, we were on the phone and he would start talking about what he's thinking of doing and what it may look like and so. And I always knew as a certainty that I would be in it because... And so I want to pull away because that's Liv Ullman telling her part about Autumn Sonata. Now, I want, there was another actress, and that, of course, that was Ingrid Bergman. No relation to Igmar. This was the first time they worked together. They were both iconic individuals. And to have these two, I mean, you know, uh, Ingrid was nominated for an Oscar. She is talking to Dick Cavett about working with Igmar. Devastating, you might say, mother and daughter relationship. Uh, Ingmar Bergman's new film, Autumn Sonata. And your own daughter is in the position of being a, a critic. Uh, is she disqualifying herself in this case? Um, yes, she criticizes theater and yes. not movies. She introduced me for a second the <laughs> other evening because she had seen the movie, but. She's not going to criticize. In real life, she's not even going to. Uh... Well, she's told me that she liked it. She doesn't dare to say anything else, does she? <laughs> she is, after all, your daughter. Uh, yes. And the parallels are interesting, as you obviously know, because uh, you play a performing mother, uh, a performing uh, mother in the film. Yes, a pianist. And... It could be an actress. It could be anyone that has mm -hmm. to leave her home, her husband and children to go to other countries to make long tours. You know, it doesn't have to be a pianist, but Ingmar Bergman wanted it um, because I think uh, he's been married to a pianist and he knows how hard they work. And uh, I didn't realize myself that it was really from morning to night, a constant work, 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 even when you are at home. Yes, uh, there's one scene in which uh, they pan from your hand up, so we see that it is actually you playing the piano. But uh, I gather that the... Uh, the hard stuff was it's the done. Only, it's the only thing you <laughs> see. That's the only part. Uh, did, uh, did the ex-Mrs. Bergman um, yes, coach she, you on that? She She's the... did, yes. She was there and she taught us how to sit and how to behave and also not to use your face muscles too much. Mm -hmm. And she taught Lee how to play it in a poor way and how I should play it in a more brilliant way. And... Uh, it was 
it's very interesting because, you know, it's easy when you play the piano to overdo it too much. You shake your head and you do all those things. And actually, uh, she said that good pianists are much more restrained. And I hate it when you see the, the actor going like this and the sound is going... <laughs> and no connection at all. Cineasts and movie fanatics are hungry for any scrap of information about Ingmar Bergman, of course. Can you describe working with him, or can you think of an example of a moment, perhaps, where you wanted to do something one way, or uh, to get some idea on those mysterious closed sets of his, what it's like to see? Yes, they're very closed indeed, because he wants to be very near his actors. Uh, he doesn't want to have the large crews that you have here in America. It has to be like a little family. And they're all working intensely because they have something to do. It isn't uh, like here so many people have special jobs and they hang around and wait and play cards and talk. No one has time to talk in his uh, setups. There is a concentration that helps the actors very much. And uh, he's very close to you and he kind of reads your thoughts. To take an example, um, when my daughter plays the piano, uh, I have a close-up. The mother is watching her daughter. And um, I had nothing to do but watch her play. So then Ingmar came up after a while. I'd done a couple of takes and said, what are you thinking of? So I said, well, I'm thinking that my poor daughter, she never really could play the piano, could she? And a uh, little mistake there. But she's cute and she's sitting, but oh, that was not good. And he said, you're thinking all wrong. She is not even listening to her daughter playing. It doesn't, she knows that the daughter is not a pianist. She's watching the girl and she remembers when she was a little girl and ran across the lawn and how happy the mother was when she stretched out her arms and the little girl ran into her arms. And it gave me a completely new way of thinking Mm -hmm. And you see, that is what a good director can do. He gives you the thought so that then you can you can project that. And so he gives you precise images to picture. Yes, but well, sometimes you have the same thought. I mean, he, he will not say anything because uh, he sees in your face that you are thinking what he wants you to think. Or assumes you are in any <laughs> case. Uh, I think it was Mildred Dunnick who, who once said about film acting that the uh, mistake people make at the beginning is to try to act too much and that you can simply think something and it will show in the yes, face. Yes, it's absolutely Which for a stage actor is hard yes. to believe. It's very difficult, especially as I came from the stage. I had just been six months in uh, London and um, acted. And of course, when you act on the stage, it is a question of projection. You have to reach the people up there and it's no use the believing they can see what your eyes look like. So the whole thing is very big. Uh, so that was one of the first days of, of work that I had to do with Igma. That was to take everything down. I know that because I've been in the theater and in the movies combined all my life. So I know the difference. Uh, but you have to be reminded because the screen is so terribly sensitive. And Bergman uses what are... Uh, it's odd, this confusion of names, Bergman and Bergman. Yeah. Ingmar Bergman uh, uses uh, what are sometimes called brutal close-ups. And yes. uh, for an actress uh, like yourself, who is in her 40s, uh, <laughs> th th some people might fear that. Uh, <laughs> yes. You had no fear of the screen-filling close-up where millions of people are looking into your pores? No, I, I, I was kind of happy about it because uh, you try naturally, being an actress, actors don't have the same worry. But actresses, of course, like to look 
beautiful and young as long as possible. But it is very difficult. You can do it a little bit more on the stage where you're not, you're not so close to the audience. You can fake 10, 15 years. Um, but on the screen, uh, you see the age. And um, it takes courage to take all the makeup off and uh, really show what you are in real life. And, and he helped to, uh, me to do that. I mean, he gave me courage. I, I said to him, oh my God, when my fans see me like this, I lose them all. And he said, don't worry, I'll get you new ones. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wanted to pull away from that because that says something right there. There, I wanted to talk to those two actresses and how different their experiences with Ingmar Bergman were and how Ingrid Bergman, who had been an actress for a very long time, Ingmar said to her, oh no, I want you to do it like this and really changed uh, the perception that Ingrid had and oh, Oh, yeah, people are always asking if they're related. No. People are always, you know, what those who are not familiar with Ingrid Berg or Ingmar Bergman's films, what made him so great? Because there was a realism to his films. His films are brutal. The, you know, the close ups are brutal, the subject matter is brutal. And that film, Autumn Sonata. That is, oh my God, that is such, that's a brutal film. Scenes from a Marriage, also brutal. But Autumn Sonata in particular, first of all, that was Ingrid Bergman's final film. I think she later did a TV movie where she played Golda Meir. Uh, in fact, uh, Ingrid Bergman was nominated, I believe, for an Oscar for Autumn Sonata was she let's see yeah yeah unfortunately Liv Ullman wasn't nominated um okay so here's the synopsis it's a celebrated classical pianist and her neglected daughter who meet for the first time in years and chronicles their painful discussions of how they have hurt each other it was the first and only collaboration by Ingrid Bergman and Igmar Bergman. Autumn Sonata was the last of Ingrid Igmar Bergman's films to be made for a theatrical exhibition. All of his films made later after, even though screened in theaters, were television productions. So, Autumn Sonata... I mean, there's parts of it that are English, and then uh, the majority of it is in Swedish... And I'd always heard, I'd, I'd seen bits and pieces of it throughout time. And I wanted to find a really good synopsis of it. Okay. I mean, it's it. Like I said, his films, his films are are not for the faint of heart. You have to really be ready to face his films. You know how Kubrick's Stanley Kubrick's films really just go for the jugular. 
Bergman's films go for the jugular and then they keep pulling you pulling you till you bleed out I hope that's a good uh, uh, you know way of saying it after having neglected her children for many years world famous pianist Charlotte visits her daughter Eve in her home to her surprise she finds her other daughter Helena there as well Helena is mentally disabled and Eva has taken Helena out of the institution where their mother had placed her the tension between Charlotte and Eva only builds up slowly until a nightly conversation releases all the things they have wanted to tell each other so that's really what it is is um, the mother who is a celebrated pianist and the children that she left behind and what she has to face she yeah, she still has her glamour and her and her notoriety but the two daughters that she bore she starts to unravel and realize what she did to them through neglect and through being cold and 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 a career and Bergman really oh god he really nailed it you think about it you think of 1970s that's what it was about it was about the career and juggling and I think of Barbara Walters Barbara Walters talked about that she talked about here she was this celebrated journalist and one of the first women to host a primetime news program and she had this daughter and she had a marriage and the marriage fell apart and the daughter almost fell apart and that was you know that was the beginning of feminism that was the beginning of the career woman and then you had someone like uh, Toni Morrison who was a single parent and had the two sons and juggling writing and she wrote in the morning and so yeah Autumn, Autumn Sonata Autumn Sonata really is the dark portrait of all of that and rather than go to a shrink they basically take it out on each other and Igmar Bergman was good at that he was good at getting his characters out there and not holding back just letting loose letting loose who else could have death play chess with the knight on the beach Igmar Bergman it's been his his films have been parodied so many times so many times so as always unpleasant dreams <laughs>